0: welcome to the investing with ibd podcast sponsored by vantage point this week it's justin nielsen your host and it's wednesday january 12 2022 and as always i am joined by arusha Pierce. he's an o'neill global advisors portfolio manager and returning to the show our guest this week is joe fami from zor capital uh joe it's so nice to have you back Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk markets with you guys. Absolutely, and it's a happy new happy new year to you. Um... Some of the things we're going to be talking about, as you mentioned, we're going to talk markets. Uh, Also, we're going to get a lesson from Joe here on kind of a a little wrap up of 2021 and a lot about selling, whether it's offensive selling into strength or protecting that capital. And then, of course, Joe's going to share with us a few of the ideas he's got on his radar right now. So let's get right into it. Uh,
1: Joe, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Nasdaq or the S&P 500? Uh, Let's start with the Nasdaq. It almost feels like there's two different markets. Where right now, the NASDAQ is in a downtrend corrective phase. The Russell 2000s also been in a little bit of a corrective phase. But on the flip side, the S&P 500 and Dow Jones are in strong uptrends where they're in just strong bull markets. So uh, I kind of want to talk about two things. Number one is what's causing this. And the second thing is ways to deal with this and ways to make adjustments Uh, in your investing or in your portfolio. Uh Um, The first thing, if let's just jump right in with, no one really knows the exact reason why this is happening. I can give a few uh, thoughts that I have. One of the obvious answers is the weighting of the mega cap stocks on why the S&P is holding up so much better than the the other averages uh, because of the Apples and Microsofts and so forth. That heavier weighting is keeping it propped up. Uh, I think it's a little bit more to do with sector rotation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I think about 10, 12 years, 15 years ago, when you would sell a stock, you would get four, five, six percent on your money when that cash would move into a money market. Now, especially with the large institutions, when you're not when you're just getting pennies on your money, I feel like there's this constant sector rotation. So, for example, when the institutions are selling tech. They're just rotating right into maybe energy or utilities to at least earn some money in the markets or in their money. And that constant sector rotation is keeping the S&P propped up because of the 11 major sectors in the S&P. And then the third reason is just straight liquidity. Even, Even if the Fed is a little bit hawkish recently, there's tremendous, tremendous liquidity. Interest rates are historically low and also there's just so much money out there with third world countries that used to be third world now have tons of billionaires in those countries that are constantly wanting a piece of the u.s market so that constant money flowing into the u.s markets internationally is at a larger level than it was before and what i'm curious because you guys have to deal with you know coming up with marketing correction and and so forth i'm curious what maybe your thoughts are as to what is Causing this divergence in these uh, in these averages.
0: Well, let's start with you, Arusha.
1: Um, I, I
2: honestly, I, I never really thought about what Joe what Joe just mentioned here about the institutions are forced to keep the the money more into in the markets versus the money markets um, where they used to be able to get a percentage. I, I never thought about it like that, but honestly, that makes a lot of sense. I I think the the other thing though is. Uh, With the rotation, you're going to there are a lot of people who were left behind in just the normal growth stocks and especially the way the stocks were running over the last couple of years uh, where they just keep assuming that uh, and and now there might be proven right here where they're going more towards those undervalued stocks and, and betting that eventually these sectors and we saw last year with energy. Uh, and um, a number of these industrial sectors, they're they're bound to come up. And so they're starting to place more of their money
0: there, which causes more of this rotation. So are you thinking of that as more of like a, a mean reversion type? Yeah. Play? All right. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: so and, and Joe, just to kind of get back uh, to what you were saying about how the NASDAQ is, is in a downtrend, um, what is it that kind of, you know, uh, include you in on that. I mean, we've we've had the a lot of the individual stocks. We've been talking about this for a while. A lot of the individual stocks were underneath their 50-day moving average line and under their 200-day moving average line for months and months. I mean, really, starting from the mid of February, there was there was some trouble there. But uh, the Nasdaq, you know, you mentioned that being in a downtrend. I mean, we came down to the 200-day, uh, got support. Is is that not enough for you, or is Uh, The fact that we undercut those lows, uh, the December 3rd and December 20th low, is that what's kind of uh, shifting your your opinion there?
1: Yeah, I'd like to see the market prove itself a little bit more before we maybe see a sustained uptrend. But when I if someone asked me, is the market in correction when you talk about the Nasdaq, I would say yes. And the reasons is just a very simple Uh, guideline is the 50 day moving average or it it roughly correlates with the 10 week moving average on the weekly charts where if we're above it for the most part the market is healthy it's a green light to be involved in the market and for the most part and be involved in growth stocks when we're below it it's a sort of a red light yellow light depending on how far we are below it for to be cautious and be defensive because of one simple concept is the big institutions control the markets. And that 10-week moving average is a, uh, you know, is traditionally an area of institutional support. So if the institutions aren't supporting the markets, then I'm not interested in supporting it. And I want to get out of their way when they are selling or when we're in this base building period and there's higher volatility. So Mm -hmm. the straight answer when I just quickly look at a chart and I see we're below the 50-day, Uh, That is just telling me it doesn't necessarily mean we're heading into a major correction. It just tells me to be defensive until I see more bases setting up and until we see the institutional support get us back through that 10 week moving average.
2: Uh Yeah, Joe, and you you do bring up a a good point here uh, where Well, first of all, this is the first time we've tested the 200 day. So so we could see some kind of bounce, but.
0: Since april of 2020 since last time
2: yeah Yeah, i mean it's it's been a long time uh but one thing that i definitely had to relearn the hard way especially uh in september when we kind of broke the 50 and then had that low volume rally you know sometimes you're gonna have that kind of normal short covering rally then you might resume the selling and undercut and go a little bit lower than everyone anticipated is that coming? Is, is that in your thoughts anywhere, Joe? Um, are, you, are you thinking that could happen or are you just kind of just going to be patient and just let things really, really uh, settle down before getting
1: Yeah, back? that's a great point. What I really like to do is I use the um, the averages and, and the, or the indexes and the 50-day moving average as a guideline. What really overrides all that to me is 90% of what I use to judge the health of the market is the price action of stocks, especially growth yep. stocks. So sometimes we can be above that 50 day and there's just no stock setting right. up and sometimes we can undercut it as we did in late September and there were still a lot of stocks holding up very well. So that uh, you obviously want the sort of M and cancel in the market direction at your back. But what to do when we're around those levels where maybe we dip below is i want to see if there are stocks setting up and in late september there were a lot of growth stocks that their charts were still intact uh right now forever uh, however we're below that 50 day and there's not a lot of stocks setting up so that's what overrides when we're around that 50 day
2: and just very quickly uh justin uh mm-hmm. Joe, uh Are you acting like institutions, though, too, and start to are you focusing just on growth stocks or are you rotating to some of the more commodity related stocks that have more basis and are breaking out bank related commodities type of stocks?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. You have to be open minded. It's not just all tech. I prefer as a growth manager to be in stocks with strong earnings and sales growth. And right now. There are a lot coming from the energy sector that was beaten down and their estimates were very low. And a lot of the analysts have their uh, estimates based on 50, 60 dollar oil. Now that it's higher, that's going to expand the profit margins for a lot of energy names. So it's not just tech, um, but I'm just I like to stick with more of the growth stocks over the long run uh, is my focus rather than some of the cyclical names that just tend to be, uh, you know, by definition, cyclical. Yeah. And to,
0: to your earlier point, uh, if we could just pull up the S&P 500, because uh, it's a big contrast, what you're, what you're saying about the NASDAQ makes sense. The fact that we're under the 50-day, um, all of those things. And again, I was looking at those undercuts of the December 3rd and December 20th uh, lows. But the S&P 500 is really kind of painting a different picture. It, it did get support at its 50-day moving average line. The December 20th low was still above the December 3rd low. And this latest low Was above the December twentieth low, so um, you know this is exactly what you're talking about. How it's it's a it's a tale of two markets. You know this bifurcation is a word that we've been using for most of 2021. So, given that the S and P 500 is you know not that far off of its highs and could be going higher, do you have that fear of okay if I don't play, I'm going to be missing out and the S and P 500 is going to leave me behind?
1: Yeah, that kind of leads to that second point I was talking about. Where the first question is, why is this happening? And you know, a lot of times it doesn't really matter. People are looking for reasons, but that's not you know. Let's just say sector rotation has a lot to do with the S and P holding up better. But the more important question is, okay, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to make adjustments? Because I like Paul Tudor Jones, you know, paraphrasing his quote, "You either evolve, adapt, or die in the markets." And that key word is adapt. And one way to adapt. Uh, you know to to answer your question about you know do you fear if this goes higher is to just own the index there's nothing wrong with I know part of the whole you know O'Neill process is picking individual stocks and so forth but there are times where you maybe have to do a mix of the two where maybe you can own some individual stocks And because the index is so resilient for all of those reasons, just own an index ETF or maybe of the 11 sector ETFs in the S&P, maybe own even a sector ETF or two just to get participation when you see this divergence.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a take a pause right here. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into some of the lessons that you uh, maybe can share from 2021 and what lessons people should be looking at going forward, especially when it results to selling. We'll be right back. Kicking yourself for that early exit, you can prevent them, and it's easier than you think. Go to freestockcoaching.com to see the tool independent traders are using to perfect their trades. artificial intelligence. AI doesn't involve staring at your screen for hours, and no research is needed. Just pick a stock and press a button. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see a live demo now. You need to be ready for rapid market changes and AI can help you avoid potential losses. Check out freestockcoaching.com to learn more. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to the investing with IBD podcast sponsored by vantage point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires and our guest, Joe Fami from Zor Capital. Now, uh, Joe, you, you probably get a lot of questions from people and, and stuff. Uh, you know, we kind of tackle the markets. We're going to get into some of these lessons about knowing when to get out of a stock, whether it's on the upside or on the downside. Um, you've got a webinar coming up. Is this a place where people can kind of get answers to some of the
1: questions that you get most frequently? Uh, yes. And the webinar is going to be this Saturday, uh, uh, January 15th, 11 a.m. Eastern. If anyone's interested, it's a free webinar. You can go to my website, joefami.com. Uh, you can fill out the contact form. My email's there as well. You can reach out. And it's just a free webinar I'm running this Saturday. If you happen to listen to this podcast after Saturday, you can still reach out to me because I do run them regularly. And mm-hmm. in these webinars, a common question I'm getting is I encourage people uh, to uh, you know, understand you're going to be wrong sometimes. Part of, in my effort to educate, part of the markets is accepting that You might have conviction on something, but either the market's going to prove you wrong or the timing might not be right. Right. And you do have to cut your losses. And that is why when you read the Market Wizards book um, and and all the series of some of the best traders throughout history, what are their top three lessons? Cut your losses, cut your losses and cut your losses. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like in real estate, location, location, location. So the point is that if the best in the business are reminding you that their number one rule is cut your losses uh, over the past you know, few months or so. I think that has really been stressed in that you have to have a loss cutting policy. Everybody has different time frames where maybe some people trade shorter, medium, longer term. But it doesn't matter what your time frame is. You have to have a loss cutting policy to protect yourself from bigger corrections in the markets and in individual stocks.
2: Now, Joe, we we've all been doing this for a long time, and we all know that you know the rules are out there, the strategies are out there, but ninety percent of this is psychology, right? And that cutting your losses uh, comes all the way down to psychology too. Mm-hmm. You know, talk talk a little bit about that also. How because it just takes a long time for people to understand this. We can just focus on that cutting your losses l- lesson. It really takes you maybe a few times to put your hand on the stove. Before you start (laughs) realizing,
1: oh, that's why they have that cutting your losses. Yeah, that's it is. It's 80, 90 percent of this has to do with psychology because it has to do with fear. Why, if you see something turning against you, the number one reason why you don't want to sell it is, well, what if I sell it and it goes higher? That's what Mm -hmm. people are worried about. I don't want to sell at the low and have it go higher where the real fear should be, what if it does bigger damage to my portfolio? I give now a common question I get on these webinars is, okay. what's a good guideline? If you're medium term, as we discussed in the previous segment, a 10 week moving average When you look at a lot of the historical charts that O'Neill puts out in his books, when you get a decisive break below the 10 week moving average, that would be sort of a medium term area, depending on your time frame to stop yourself out. Uh, A longer term, people do use the 200-day, and I respect there are people who have longer-term timeframes, but either way, you could use those moving averages as a guideline. But to your point about psychology, it's just something where you have to learn to make a decision. Part of trading is to make decisions. You can read all the books you want. You can have somebody hand you the greatest strategy on a silver platter, but you still have to execute the entry points and taking profits and and what we're talking about, you have to be able to execute and accept that you're going to be wrong sometimes, and it take and and it takes time to get to this point. But you're just going to have to take that loss once in a while, to, uh, to you know, to prevent further damage to your portfolio.
0: And I guess there there's another element to this because okay, let's say you're using the 10 week moving average line. Uh, this is where your entry can make a big difference because if you're buying something that's well extended above its 10 week moving average line, you could have a pretty uh, a pretty rude awakening if it comes all the way back down to that 50 day moving average line or 10 week moving average line undercuts it stops you out as opposed to, you know, if you're getting something in a, I guess, not as extended from that line or uh, in, in more of a basing pattern, then you're usually not as extended. Your loss is much less and I could easily see people buying extended and you know, the 10 week moving average line stopping them out and you get a few of those and that could make a big hit to your portfolio. So what is the, what is the right element in terms of the buying so that you make sure that the 10 week moving average line isn't creating too much of a loss for you?
1: Yeah, the entry point, again, no matter what your time frame is, is very, very important. Some people I know, day trade, you still want to get those strong entry points, swing trade, longer term, whatever your time frame is, getting those entry points around when a stock is breaking out of a base. And for some of the newer traders, study charts. I think one of the greatest lessons is to look at, in O'Neill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, fourth edition. The first 100, 120 pages is literally one of the greatest free lessons you can get or whatever the book costs, you know, $12.95, but it's one of the greatest lessons you can get by going through those charts where they're all marked up and annotated, where you can look for emerging out of a base as a strong entry point. And the more experience you get and the more charts you look at, uh, you know, to your point is get those strong entry points and do not chase extended stocks because that also... Goes to the point about psychology is we tend to have more fear on the upside if a stock is running away from us that, oh, it's going to keep going higher and people chase them at the absolute worst points. That's why strong entry points can really, really help to minimize those losses when you're wrong.
2: Now, Joe, another another cause for fear is concentration, maybe having too much of a stock and and they're unable to handle the volatility. You know, how, how how do you uh, approach that within your strategy?
1: I think uh, a position size is really a personal thing as far as everyone has different risk tolerances yeah. and everybody has different uh, investment objectives where, you know, I think of something like last year, uh, how Kathy Wood outperformed with her flagship ARKK fund is she had decent concentration in a lot of stocks. Uh, You can think of the three ways she outperformed. Number one is uh, stock selection. As O'Neill says, most people fail because they buy nothing to write home about stocks. So number one, make sure to buy stocks that fit the blueprint of big winners throughout history, strong earnings and sales growth. And that takes a lot of effort to do the research into that. But number two, to your point of how she outperformed was concentration, where her fund roughly had 50 stocks for an individual that's too much to follow because that's more of an institutional etf but for an individual you can keep it concentrated and there is no right or wrong answer it's really a personal thing on maybe five stocks will work maybe 10 maybe 15 but definitely you want to keep it at a level where you're not following too many stocks and then the third part of how she outperformed had to do with conviction where you not only pick the stocks and have a concentrated portfolio but It takes a lot of conviction it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of uh you know just sort of that stamina to hold through some of these gains uh to hold them through some of those uh some of those big winners uh, to hold for for you know at least through a decent part of their moves
0: right now you you talked about a little bit about this whole idea of conviction that that she has and of course with a lot of the stocks that are in that portfolio um you know there was a great 2020 2021 wasn't so good and a lot of that was some of these stocks uh, are well below their 50-day moving average lines below their 200-day moving average lines just just looking horrible so when do you kind of let that conviction kind of go by the wayside because of what the chart is doing
1: yeah that leads into that whole it kind of ties the two together about cutting your losses or at least taking profits there's a couple of rules at some point when a stock makes a two, three, 400% move, and to Arusha's point, it becomes too concentrated. I always mm. say if somebody asks me, What should I do with this stock? It's usually because they have way too big of a position and they can't sleep at night. Yeah. So they usually yeah. say, Cut it down to a sleep at night position. So if that position makes a big gain, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking some profits along the way up. Uh, if it's, becomes too big of a position, you know, maybe cutting it in a quarter of it or cutting it in half. That way you have more clarity because if it goes higher, you still have some. And if it pulls in, you uh, you've taken some profits off the table and you don't get hit as bad. The other thing that people need to remember is with with big winners is the 8050 rule that 80% of big winners give back 50% of their gains. And 50% of big winners give back 80% of their gains. And by big winners, I'm talking about, yes, a lot of the stocks in that portfolio that benefited from the pandemic and had explosive earnings and sales growth, they went on to three, four, 500% moves, and they are anywhere from 30 to 80% off of their highs. So you have to at least at some point say, hey, enough is enough, and I got to lock in some profits. And even if you just used... Again, a simple break of that 10 week, you would have been stopped out a lot of these stocks a long time ago.
2: Now, Joe, uh, you know, one thing that we've always heard I know, Justin, you and I hear from newer investors. And one of the issues, not only just with stop losses, is just realistic expectations of how long is it going to really take for you to get experience to actually maybe start putting these pieces together. Because I remember those first couple of years, there were just so many moving parts that I had to go through a few cycles before I could really start to understand how everything worked. What, what, you know, what is your experience with that and especially working with people who are just getting started and what's your advice to them?
1: Uh, my advice would be to keep it simple. I've been doing it close to 25 years and I'm still learning and relearning things. Uh, to your point about cycles, Unfortunately, I think you have to see a couple of cycles before certain things click, where you have to see a nice sort of bull cycle and maybe a corrective cycle as well. Uh, But in an effort to help people speed up the process is just to keep it simple. Try not to feel like you have to own everything and chase everything. If you keep it simple, study those historical charts, learn how to make decisions, it'll help speed up the process. And there's just Uh, I think the difference between when we started and now is there's tremendous resources and people with tremendous experience that are passing along those lessons
0: and so many different avenues in which they're they're passing along that uh, whether it's through Twitter uh, through podcasts um, what have you so I I, we, we probably started around the same time then if you're if you're around 25 years and I I know at least for myself um, I started out a genius because it was the late 90s and everything I touched turned to gold. And I thought it was just how smart I was. Uh, it wasn't until uh, a couple of years in that I realized that it, was, it wasn't me. It was the market that made it so easy during that time. But even then, there were, you know, I mean, I remember the 98, uh, that, that, that bear market in September and October that was uh, you know, really rough to handle. And uh, I think you have to be in that frame of mind where you're willing to learn from your mistakes and, and and look back at what you did and figure out how you can improve it. If you can do that early on, it really does make a make a easier
1: learning curve for you
0: and uh, hopefully a more profitable future for you as well. From
1: learning, Yeah. From and to your point, keeping another piece of advice would be to keep a uh, rule book or to keep an, some notes, do some post analysis, because I do remember in 98, Uh, long-term capital, Russian debt prices. And I had some stocks like eBay that went from 200 down to 60 and I held it. So I'm just as guilty. That's why I'm trying to remind people who might have held something. Now it came, it bounced back to 300. So I was a genius because I just held it. (laughs) But uh, to people who might've struggled last year with some of these big winners that have given back over half their gains is just keep a rule book of Don't beat yourself up because it's all about staying mentally tough. So keep a rule book of things that you could have done differently and then execute that and protect your confidence, because when another uptrend comes, the worst thing would be if your confidence is shattered and you're not interested when, as O'Neill says, spring comes back around again and there's a lot of a crop of new stocks. And that's where you really want to be mentally sharp and mentally tough to take advantage of that next strong uptrend.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, it, it, that's exactly the time period I was thinking of because there was that September 98 follow through day. And I remember messing that up. And then I was slow on the October 98 follow through day. And of course, that's when Schwab and AOL and everything's breaking out. And I was late to the game, you know, because of it. Uh, so yeah, definitely learning from those mistakes. Um, any any last thoughts? Because again, 2021 was um, certainly not not the easiest year. You know, we've talked about how the, these divergences happen. Um, some of the best winners of 2020 uh, were not the, the best winners of 2021. And we had a lot of people enter the investing sphere in 2020. And and so they're kind of now realizing maybe how it's not as easy. So do you have any parting parting words of wisdom on, on that lesson there for them?
1: A lot of it is studying what first came to my mind was don't marry stocks, where a lot of it's studying history, where there are great companies, but there's a difference between a great company and a great stock. So some of these companies from last year will continue to do well, but they already went through their earnings phase and their growth phase. So just study history and understand when you look at historical charts that a lot of these stocks can uh, give a, uh, a lot of their gains back, which is why it's so important to have a loss cutting policy
0: absolutely so when we come back from the break we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stocks that are on your radar right now and how you might be looking at those uh, for future gains stay tuned we'll be right back why trade off hope and optimism when you can trade using the world's most powerful indicator artificial intelligence has been used by traders to navigate the markets for the past three decades visit freestockcoaching.com to see the world leading ai forecasting software for yourself Trusted by more than 32,000 traders, AI uses millions of data points to track market trends, giving you the support you need right now. Go to freestockcoaching.com and we'll help you find great opportunities today. Our experts will show you what stocks are setting up for big changes right now. So head over to freestockcoaching.com for a free demo. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Pierce from O'Neill Global Advisors and from Zora Capital. We have Joe Fami returning to the show. Uh, so, Joe, we've got some, uh, some market action, some lessons. Let's talk about stocks now. What's on your radar in this kind of tricky environment?
1: Yeah, it is a tricky environment. And uh, part of adapting is maybe to... Uh, you know, just remind people software and some of those names did very well uh, last year. And if this is a rising rate environment, uh, some of the higher valuation names might struggle. So I want to do my best There's not tons of growth stocks to find. But the first one is MP uh, MP material symbol MP. What I try to do when I'm looking at stocks is combine as many factors as possible to help increase your probabilities of success. And so it's not just, uh, you know, a lot of people are strict technicians and they're looking at the charts. Some people are fundamentalists and only look at balance sheets and so forth. And I'm saying, why not use everything in your power to help increase your probabilities? Use every weapon in your arsenal. So, you know, to start, I like to look at the chart from a technical point of view. The chart is acting very well. Uh, Even during the recent pullback in the market, it's been holding that 50-day, which we talked about as a good area Mm -hmm. to make sure the institutions are supporting it. Um, Another thing I like, which is a characteristic of a cup with handle, is a prior uptrend, which you can see uh, earlier last year It had a very, very strong uptrend. Uh, Kind of like what David Ryan talked about in his Market Wizards interview. He says, I like stocks that have already doubled because they've proven that they can double. Uh, So that's what I like is that prior uptrend, a big, long base, a handle that's holding its 50-day. And when you break down the weekly chart, there's a lot of institutional accumulation. Because I know you guys are very big on weekly charts as well. Um, So that breaks down the technicals. And then when you look at the fundamentals... They are the only rare earth um, miner. I shouldn't say the only one, but the one with, that has the only one in the in North America that has uh, significant production. So they're the main one. And rare earth metals go into so many of the new products, the magnets and so forth for electric vehicles, drones, uh, just so many uh, products, so many advanced technologies. And uh, that's that's what they're showing in the fundamentals. You're seeing incredible. Uh, strong earnings and sales growth, which fits the blueprint of a big winner. They recently last month announced a partnership with GM to provide some of the materials going into their new line of electric vehicles. So I think it's uh, it fits the potential for a uh, for a decent for a decent trade here.
2: Yeah, Joe, now you, you bring up a good point here. Now, what, obviously with these Mark Smith charts, you get the that really nice blend of fundamentals and tacticals. You get all that information. But that last part that you were talking about with MP, the story, all that information, mm-hmm. the customers, what they do. Um, where are some places that, that you go or where are some kind of easy places that you go to find uh, that type of information? Do you go to, like to the website, their company website, look at some stories from IBD?
1: Yeah, i like to dig into the company when I find a good story or a good a good chart um, and the good, you know, like you said, everything together on Marketsmith. So I will go maybe to Yahoo Finance and type in the symbol, go to the company's website. I think if you have a passion for this or as I like to call it, because I have no life, um, (laughs) I like to dig into these companies and it helps with that word conviction that we talked about in the previous Um, in the previous segment, because what's going to help maybe uh, help you hold through some of these moves is having that conviction of what they do. So uh, you have to be resourceful. Uh, Maybe there's a lot of free people, people post uh, like free research reports and so forth. Sometimes I've been doing this for a while. I might have friends that uh, can have access to some of the top tier research firms, but there's a lot of free stuff, even if you just use uh, Yahoo Finance and they kind of uh, combine a lot of the different resources, whether it's an IBD article or you know some other uh, resources from the company. Mm-hmm.
0: And when you're looking at a chart pattern, uh, you know, I mean, really, this one, you could really look at this and say, okay, it it topped back in February of last year, and it's now taken a full year for it to get back up to that level. So, does it ever bother you whether when a stock is taking so much time off, or do you look at that as a positive thing?
1: That's, you know, the great question is when I look at the weekly chart, I think what is causing this longer base is that move from roughly 14, 15 out of that original base to 50. So you have to take a step back and look at the weekly chart. And some people might say, well, this has been basing out too long. Keep in mind the stock made a move roughly from 14 to 50. And that's a significant move where it needs time to digest. So I like that it's digested well, and the chart looks symmetrical, but it doesn't bother me that it's a long base because when you look at where it came from, I look at that price action as perfectly normal. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it's real interesting to see that again here, mining metal ores, that group is number 28 out of 197, not normally something that you would expect to be kind of a leading uh, one. And the the composite rating on this is 98. So uh, pretty high for uh,
1: a metal ores uh, in there. Yeah. So.
0: An, Oh, go ahead. Sorry,
1: go ahead. After you. No, I was just going to say it's just part of that adapting to the markets. It's just a reminder not to marry stocks. we we were very you know sort of married to a lot of software names and stuff mm-hmm. that did well uh, last year and and after the pandemic you have to adapt because with you know the the, the names are always changing so you have to be very open minded with your approach. Mm-hmm.
0: So one more thing on the fundamental side, um, you know we were talking about how in this inflationary environment some of the things that aren't as uh, highly valued, I guess. Um, you know, the PE on this is 64. Is that something that you're looking at when you're looking at some of these names?
1: Yeah, what I meant by high valuations is that normally with there's an it's inversely proportioned What interest rates go higher, it's more of the companies that don't have earnings. So uh, last year when the ten year went from 0.9 to 1.9 percent and moved to full hundred basis points, a full percent. That's going to affect some of the software names that don't have earnings and are trading at high price to sales. But I don't think it affects the companies that have solid earnings growth. And as we said earlier, the pickings are kind of slim with some of these growth names. So I'm also using relative strength to show that some other higher valuation names have got hit. But so far, the fact that it's holding that 50 days showing me that this is not one that, you know, so far, Uh, is being affected by any sort of rise in rates. But again, just as a sort of, uh, not a disclaimer, but I would just use that stop below the 50-day if you get a decisive break below that. Right.
0: So moving on, uh, one of the areas of strength, and certainly if you just looked at the first week of the trading year, um, oil and gas really was an area of strength, whether it's the Explorers producers, the integrated U.S. international, it just seemed like it was number of groups uh, in oil and gas were were doing well. So what is your take on what's happening with this ETF XOP?
1: Yeah, XOP is one of the several energy ETFs. I like it because of the components that are in there. So when we talked about in the earlier segment, don't be afraid to use ETFs, especially sector ETFs. When I'm going through my screens and I'm seeing the same characteristics I discussed before in a Diamondback Energy, symbol F-A-N-G, in a Devon Energy, DVN, uh, EOG, a lot of these names, Apache, you find out that they are components of XOP, which is the exploration and production ETF. Uh, The charts are very strong. It could be telling us that maybe higher priced oil is coming or that a lot of the analysts have their estimates based on let's say 40 or 50 dollar oil cuz some of the analysts are slow to make their adjustments to the to the earnings adjustments so maybe because of the pandemic they weren't expecting the demand to come back as strong and so when i see a lot of stocks that are looking good one way to play this is through an ETF that the components of that also have a lot of strong charts and a lot of strong fundamental companies in there
2: joe are you for etfs are you using the traditional kind of chart patterns for buy decisions, or are you gonna use more kind of pullbacks um, on this since they're incorporating a lot of those stocks that that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, that same thing. You still want to get a strong entry point if you can get it near some sort of tightness in the base, uh, near those 50-day, 21-day moving averages. But you're—it's okay to maybe add to some of these as long as the base is looking good. Because uh, one thing is that I always say individual stocks don't always come back, but a lot of the ETFs and indices. Because you don't have that single stock risk, it might be okay to bend the rules a little bit and maybe add to on pullbacks, as long as the chart is still within uh, those strong institutionally supported levels. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, to that point of you know breakout versus pullback, I mean, just looking at XOP here on the on the weekly chart, uh, you know, it had a number of these bases kind of form where it would break out, not really go too far before it based again. So, uh, is is this kind of telling you a little bit of uh, personality? flaw here is is this something where you have to be concerned you know is this another one of those where oh you you get the breakout and you don't go up too much before you base again Um, how do you kind of combat that fear I guess Uh, Yeah, what's happened in the past?
1: That's a great point because when you look at the weekly chart, uh, I'm reminded of what Jesse Livermore says that stocks are like people. Some are a little slower movers, some are more erratic, some will bore you to death, whatever. But Mm -hmm. um, when I look at that weekly chart, it just tells me that it's probably going to be a slower and steadier type of move where you're not going to get these explosive, you know, type of two, three, four hundred percent moves that you might have gotten some high growth names. So. That's where you adapt and you keep your expectations realistic. And the other point is that you might also use maybe a smaller position and understand that it's going to be sort of a slower mover and give it a little bit of room because a lot of the stocks in the ETF do pay a dividend as well. So it's just another strategy for people maybe looking for value until some of the growth names set up again.
0: You know, to that end, um, You know, as much as this might be a slower mover, it's still I mean, if you just look at what it did last year, I mean, it went from almost, uh, you know, a little bit over 40 to almost what is that one, you know, 110. Uh, So that's that's quite a bit of appreciation. Is that uh, too much, you know, too soon for for oil? Or is this just the beginning?
1: Well, when you when you look at it from its all perspective, when you look at it from that point, it's made a big move. When you look at it over the past two or three years, it's right back to where it was most of 2019. So this is where time frame matters, perspective matters. It's a great point that it's made a big move. But uh, if oil is going to be sustained above 70, 80, maybe even make a move to 90 dollars, then the profit margins are going to expand for a lot of the companies here. So there could still be some more upside considering it's been consolidating for a long time. Mm -hmm.
0: And let's round out the discussion with uh, actually a name from the tech space. Uh, You've got Micron ticker symbol MU.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at within uh, a lot of growth sectors have been hit uh, recently with the Nasdaq's drop, but I'm always looking at relative strength, looking at sectors and stocks that are holding up relative to the market. And one of the ones that really do stick out is uh, a lot of the semiconductors and then When I notice a lot of semiconductors holding up, I want to dig into some of the components and some of the names. I've noticed Micron, it's, you know, a larger cap over 100 billion name uh, institutionally supported. But I like how relative strength wise it held that 21 day uh, and has been consolidating on a weekly chart for the past uh, four weeks or so and consolidating in a fairly decent range. So it made a big move, built the right side of its base and now. If the market can cooperate and at least uh uh you know, we, we don't have we don't go into a bigger correction, I could see this building a handle on the weekly chart and possibly seeing some more upside because um one other point is that when you look at the earnings and sales on a lot of semiconductors, they had huge growth last year, but their estimates are are due to slow down this year. What I like is that their estimates are still close to fifty percent earnings growth in twenty twenty two.
2: Joe, how do you usually incorporate estimates in that? So if you see, like, now we're not talking about Micron here, but if you see some of these other companies that have their estimates slowing down, are you going to immediately eliminate that? Or is that just going to be kind of a, a negative against it, but you'll look at other things to see if it can overcome that?
1: Yeah, it's probably going to be a negative against it. It also depends on, you know, something like Alphabet. They grew 100% last year and they're only expected to grow 5%. So what the the reason I bring that up is because you know there are 30 or 40 analysts following it, um, where some of the smaller cap names, you, you, you have to take the estimates with a grain of salt if it's two or three analysts following it. So uh, when I see the analyst expectations, I want to know how many are following it uh, to, to maybe weigh, whether it's a couple of people or maybe 30 or 40 people.
0: And, you know, kind of in a similar vein, you know, a lot of these companies that we're looking at, uh, they had they had some pretty easy comparisons. And so now as things are kind of shifting and adjusting, um, you know, it seems like some of the estimates are like all over the place. Uh, so is, is that is that giving you any cause for concern that, you know, we're going from easy comparisons to, Not as easy, but it's still growing versus those that aren't growing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still want to try to stick with the principles. Sometimes I've noticed there's a wide range in estimates, which tells me that the analysts really don't know what's going on. Mm, So I'm going to default to the uh, price action of the stock. But I still want to try to stick with solid principles and make sure there's strong earnings and sales growth on the table. Uh, Make sure it's a strong technical chart and. Obviously, the estimates will matter, but there's, there's certain things you have to, you know, weigh less than others. And in this example with Micron, I do like that it's holding up better in the recent decline in in some of the semi stocks, where it is holding up better and showing better relative strength. So I'm going to gravitate to to those names when we do see market pullbacks.
2: Yeah. Now you- here on the the weekly chart with Micron, uh, we have we have what we call a tight area where. The, the stock of has been going sideways for three to four weeks. Do you ever use that as a, another opportunity to add to a shares or maybe even initiate off of it?
1: Yes, absolutely. After a big move with a stock, I like to see how it digests. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, it's such a strong point to emphasize that tight areas are in are areas of institutional accumulation. So if you're already in the name and you see three, four weeks or maybe a flat four to seven week base, Uh, that's an area, as long as you see tightness that's showing beneath the surface, the institutions are accumulating it. And if you're in it, it's a good spot to add to it. If you're not in it, it might be an area to uh, initiate a position. If let's say you missed the right side or you didn't hold over earnings and it built the right side of its base, now you see how it's acting and it's showing great relative strength so far. And that would be an area to initiate a position.
0: Mm -hmm. And what I love about that, that tight areas. Number one, in this case, you had a market that was, you know, looking a little shaky, but the fact that Micron held tight through it, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's something that has to be taken notice of. And also, a lot of times those tight areas that lets you get those moving average lines catching up with it and so it almost makes it so if you're kind of using that as a trailing stop in a way uh you're you're in some ways reducing your risk uh of how much of a drawdown you're going to
1: take yeah and one last point is i like to look at the volume bars on the weekly chart during those tight areas as well uh after a big move to show that there's volume above the average volume so you're not seeing any big sort of just making sure there's no big selling while consolidating beneath the surface so you know so far so good
0: a lot of food for thought there, Joe. We really thank you for coming on. And just as a reminder, you've got that webinar coming up on Saturday, 1130 Eastern Time. And people can get
1: that uh, from your website, right? At joefami.com. Yeah. They can just go to joefami.com. My contact information and and emails all there. Please reach out. And again, even if you listen to this after Saturday, I run them regularly. I, I do really enjoy trying to help people speed up the learning process and educate. So it's a free webinar. Reach out to me and send, uh, send an email and we'll get you... Uh, the link for that webinar. And Joe, oh, just,
2: to, just to be safe, it's it's not during the
1: football games, right? <laughs> no, no it, won't, it won't interfere with the Raiders over time. That'll also give you a heart attack. So. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, put, put put the Raiders on your stock list, right? Um, so, well, again, Joe, thank you so much for coming on again. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. Um, okay. And next week, we're going to have Jared Pendler on the show. He is a performance coach and he's written a book it's called the mental game of trading he also writes books on poker so it'll be interesting to kind of get into that psychology uh, so make sure you stay tuned for that next week thanks for joining us this week and we'll see you next time and for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for watching Investors Business Daily on YouTube. If you want to watch more videos, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing.
0: This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.